Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. from uh, the TV series The Chosen, episode one, or uh, season one, episode six. Uh, I love how these artists depicted today's story where, where Jesus heals the, the cripple that, that's go lower through the roof. Um, I think they, they absolutely nailed it. Um, there are so many stories in scripture, this one included, where it reads fast, right? I mean, it, it's less than a page. Like, you just... you. It just reads fast, but you really need to slow down and imagine it slow um, because it's just so much richer when, when to, to really work through it slow. Um, I thought in the video they did a lot of subtle things really well. I loved the, the tension that they created between the crowds wanting one thing and the Pharisees wanting another one and just that, that tension in that space. Um, I love the multi-ethnic aspect that they brought in. I think that's very realistic. Um, and in Scripture, it says that Jesus was so impressed by their faith. And you don't want to miss that, their faith. It wasn't the faith of the cripple that impressed him so much. It was the faith of the friends. And, and in, that, in this video, they, 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 I think they capture that so well when, he, when Jesus looks at that woman and he says, your faith is beautiful. That's my favorite line in, in this whole clip, is when he looks at her and says, your faith is beautiful. Um, let's get into this story a little bit. I'll read it to you. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all record a version of this story. Here's how Luke records it. So I am in um, the book of Luke, um, chapter 5, verse 17. And um, I'll read this through to you uh, in its entirety, and then we'll just kind of walk through it piece by piece here. Um, So chapter 5, verse 17. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who had been paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. The story actually begins with the Pharisees. 
uh, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees, teachers of the law, were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So this is still pretty early on in Jesus' ministry. His popularity is starting to grow. Um, he is still able to meet and teach in a house. As he gets popular and as the crowds grow, that just doesn't work. The crowds are too big. I mean, they get to be thousands and thousands. So this is still, still pretty early on. He's still able to, to meet in a house. Um, the way that Luke words it is kind of interesting because it reads like there, there were literally Pharisees from all over who had come to, to hear Jesus teach, right? Um, and so it's, I don't know how many that is when you have Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and some came up from Jerusalem. I mean, depending on how we unpack that, there could have been like a couple dozen Pharisees there listening to what Jesus had to had to speak um, a, a little bit on Pharisees I mean many of you know that that in scripture um, Pharisees get a really bad rap Jesus was incredibly harsh with them um, and really they represented some of the biggest opposition to Jesus and I mean rightfully so right I mean Jesus was really really hard on them um, the Pharisees were an influential kind of religious sect amongst the Jews. Uh, they, they were known for their emphasis on personal piety. A lot were middle-class businessmen, um, local leaders in the synagogue, but they held a lot of influence. They believed in, uh, in the Torah, in the Old Testament, so they believed in, in written scripture. They believed that to be true, but they also believed in oral tradition, right? So laws or ideas or traditions that, that were passed down verbally, separate from scripture, right? And they gave equal value to both, right? So equal value to what was written in scripture and equal value to uh, what had just been passed down verbally. Um, another group that you will read about sometimes are the Sadducees. Sadducees and Pharisees did not get along. Um, one of the differences, um, Pharisees believed in a spiritual realm and an afterlife. Sadducees did not. Um, even within Pharisees, it's kind of interesting, there were two groups that divided and eventually they just got so they disagreed so much that they would they just i mean they had like their own little church split right and i mean like they wouldn't fellowship with one another they wouldn't eat with one another uh that kind of thing the word pharisee actually comes from a hebrew word meaning to divide or to separate they thought that the people of god should work harder at separating themselves from the the rest of the world um, Pharisees were, I mean, to their credit, they were passionate about Scripture, um, but they were passionate about keeping the rules. It was all about keeping the rules. Don't break any of the rules or you're a bad person, right? They really loved their, their rules, their, their legalistic rules. In fact, in order to help people not break the written law, they, would, they came up with a whole bunch of other laws and rules to serve as kind of a buffer zone so that you wouldn't ever even get close to break the written law. So for instance, right, the written law says you should rest on the Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Pharisees came up with a whole bunch of other laws about what it meant to work and not work. And so one of them was that on the Sabbath you could only walk so far. And I think if you're going to go on a journey, you actually had to, like, put your lunch there the day before, right? And so in Scripture, you'll read about a Sabbath day's walk. Like, they're actually giving you a specific distance because in that, it was like, well, you could only walk. And I don't know what it was, but, you know, a half mile or two miles or something like that, right? And if you walked more than that, then you were breaking the law, right? So they added all the kind of these buffer 
laws. But the problem was is that they held those at the same value as the, the written law, and so it just became incredibly legalistic. They were zealous. They were passionate. Um, they created a discipleship program on how to teach others about the law. Um, they, they were passionate that they root out and seek out false teachers so they could publicly discredit them. They would probably tell you that they were working for the protection and the betterment of the people. So here's the caution for us in this, right? Because we tend to think of Pharisees as like way over there and super bad and something that we would never get close to because they were just so bad. And they, they were pretty bad, right? I mean, Jesus really rags on them hard. But even in that, a caution for us, especially for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, the danger is that we will love our rules and fail in growing in our love for the Lord and fail in growing in our love for people. If our head knowledge grows, but there is not growth in our love for the Lord, if there is not growth in our love for other people, if the fruit of the Spirit, right, love, joy, peace, patience, right, 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love, right? If we're not growing in those things, but we are growing in head knowledge, but only head knowledge, then we are on the path of becoming Pharisee-like, where we just grow in our knowledge and we just love our rules, but we're not actually growing in our love for the Lord, love for people, and these other fruits of the Spirit. So just a caution for us, especially for those of us that have been Christians for a long time, that can be an easy thing to slip into. Verse 18, behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through tiles. Um, Mark seems to suggest more it was um, more like the, the sticks and, and the matting, I, so something there. Um, uh, and so they lowered him through, verse 20, and when he saw their faith, their faith, and I'm actually going to stop there. The story really highlights the faith of the friends, right? I mean, because the accolades for amazing faith aren't really given to the cripple, they're given to the friends when Jesus saw their faith. And there's so many different angles to this, right? The first is just the friendship of this group is amazing, right? Like, what would you give for a handful of friends like this, right? If you're the cripple, right? And I'm not talking like one or two friends, like three, four, five friends who are willing to like tear up the neighbor's house on your behalf. Like that is amazing. And are, are you a friend like this, right? So, and are you prepared to do this kind of thing to help a friend? Secondly, of course, just their faith in Jesus. These friends so believed in Jesus, so believed in his ability that, that they were go, able to go just through incredible lengths to bring this cripple to Jesus. And, and I told you that, that line in the movie where Jesus loves, you know, he looks at one of the friends and he says, your faith is beautiful. That's such a great line. We're so easily distracted by the outer shell. And Jesus looks right past all of that. And, and in the movie, you know, he sees this woman's faith and he calls it beautiful. Thirdly, I've wondered, like, what does our modern version of this look like? Like, what does it look like in today's world to be, you know, this kind of friend? There is an aspect of the story that, that inspires us to, to, 
you know, to help out our friends when there is a physical need. That was certainly the case here. But there's, there's this deeper level where this story inspires us to do what we can do to introduce our friends to Jesus. Like, what are we prepared to do to bring people before Jesus so that, you know, so that there can be that, that encounter? And, and while the cripple did walk again, he also won the better prize, and that is salvation, which is the next part of this story. Verse 20, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts what is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The friends brought the cripple because they had faith that, that Jesus could heal him. But Jesus' initial response is not about healing. It's about the sin. And don't miss the fact that that was the bigger prize. Right? The bigger prize was that his sins were forgiven. And I don't know if he realized it in the moment, the fullness of what he had just received. I mean, I'm sure, you know, being able to walk was pretty big on his mind. I, I don't know if he realized kind of the fullness of, okay, may, you know, because there for a few moments, I'm not walking, but my sins are forgiven. Right? And now, you know, this man is in heaven, and someday we can ask him some more questions about this. Because it's one thing to be able to walk on earth for a few years. It's something entirely different to be able to walk in heaven for the rest of eternity. Right? Like that is the, the bigger prize. But in the moment, in that crowded living room of someone's house, how does Jesus validate this verbal message that his sins are truly forgiven? Like how, because he even says it. Anyone can say stuff, right? Like how do you test it? How do you prove it? And, and uh, film captured this beautifully, but, you know, you can say it, but there's, there's no evidence. And so Jesus does a miracle to validate it. He does a miracle to prove it. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he heals the man. The earthly miracle was testimony or proof of what Jesus had just done in the spiritual realm. And we... And we touched on this last week, too, about, um, the, you know, the gentleman who shared, like, sometimes when they'll do evangelistic crusades or evangelistic outreach, how sometimes God will do miracles to validate the spoken message. And we see that same thing here. Verse 25, and immediately he rose up before them, and he picked up what had been lying on the mat, and, or what he had been lying on, went home glorifying God, and amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things. Here's the thing that I'm not sure on in this. this I, I kind of have a new question mark on this, right? Because it says that amazement sees them all, and they glorify God, and they were filled with awe. Are we talking about just the crowds, or are we talking about the, I don't know, couple dozen Pharisees? Are we talking about both? Because all is, like, all is all, right? And the way that Luke paints the picture because I just sort of assumed that Pharisees just always hated Jesus a lot from the very beginning, and that was just a steady thing. 
But kind of the way that, that Luke paints it here is that the Pharisees were part of that group that glorified God and, and were, were filled with awe. Uh, I'm not sure. But again, and, and we talked about this, right? The word of God is powerful, but, but it's a new level when you see a miracle that validates the spoken word, right? And for many people, like Peter, uh, like Saul, even parts of my own story, that experience is where we, we commit to change. Now, it's been kind of interesting because something else I've been just ruminating on kind of all week long um, that happened. But at the same time, I do find some, some connection with this story as, as well, too. And so it's kind of interesting just how they, they, they overlap. And so I want to un- unpack another idea here with you. Um, had the friends not acted when they acted, probably their friend never would have been healed, Right? So let me explain this. So this week I, I needed to do a phone conversation with uh, an associate, someone else, um, some conference stuff, and, you know, thinking through the phone call and wanting to be prepared and just kind of thinking through it and, um, and was wanting to just kind of give, give the person some freedom that, you know, well, you could do this thing now or, or you could do it later. And, and so I'm thinking through it and I had, you know, and I was going to, you know, well, you know, and so I was going to tell him, like, look, you know, the, the same problems and opportunities are still going to be here in a year or 10 years or that kind of thing. But then I got to thinking about it, and I was like, no, that's not, I mean, maybe the same problems will be here, but the same opportunities may not be here next year, and the same opportunities may not be, be here 10, like, that's actually really horrible advice. And so I didn't say it on the phone, but I was like, I'm glad I caught that, because that was a really dumb thing to say. Um, I remember my dad talking about my grandparents, okay? They were farmers um, up in South Dakota, and every so often there would be a tough year. And so their consolation was, well, there's always next year, right? Like we, we had a rough year, but there's always next year. Maybe next year will be better. Maybe the rains will be better, you know, that, that kind of thing. This year was tough, but, but there's always next year. When it comes to farming, when it comes to other businesses, when it comes to other professions or career. The idea that there is always next year is a very viable business plan. That works. But when it comes to people and when it comes to ministry, there is no promise of next year. None. And so here's the word of warning. Um, I don't, I've never heard anyone say that exact phrase here, but I I think that attitude exists among us a little bit. Had these friends said, well, there's always next year, I don't think Jesus would have been available to them in that same way a year later. I think their friend was healed because they acted immediately. Many years ago, um, living in Abbotsford, uh, had gone to pick up some, some stuff at, at the grocery store and kind of on a whim picked up um, a bundle of flowers for Joe. As I'm walking out of the grocery store, had, there's a lady coming towards me and had this strong sense from the Holy Spirit saying, I didn't have you buy those flowers for Joe. I had you buy them for her. Now, let me just clarify. Like we had done, um, so in Abbotsford, we, like random acts of kindness and love Abbotsford and you know, like you'd give away stuff and I mean, clean bathrooms and give away Cokes and all that kind of thing, right? So, so the idea wasn't, wasn't foreign to me. But in the moment, it completely caught me off guard. 
and, and, I, and I just wasn't quite prepared, and I didn't want to look silly, and what am I going to say, and I just, I need more time to process this, so I didn't do anything. I just walked right past, went to my car, sat down, and just tried to work up the courage to do this. By the time I was ready, the opportunity had passed, I have no idea where that lady went, and I never saw her again. So I took the flowers, and I gave them to Joe. And as I remember it, she was like nominally impressed by him. She was like, okay, thanks. My slow, sluggish obedience meant that I missed an opportunity that I will never have again. I can never replicate that. I can never repeat that. That opportunity will never again present itself. It is lost, and it is lost to me forever. And there is a whole sermon, probably a whole sermon series, on slow obedience and what that means and what it says about how we honestly view God, but not today. And to clarify, like, am I advocating that we do all ministry opportunities that come our way? No, absolutely not. That's also a horrible strategy. There are a lot of once-in-a-lifetime opportunities that come your way that you should just completely ignore, okay? Um, what, what I am saying is that when faced with an opportunity with people or faced with an opportunity for ministry, we need to discern what to do. Maybe we act. Maybe we don't act. But there is a danger, there is a, a sluggish obedience, almost sometimes even a laziness, if the deciding factor is, well, there's always next year. A lot of people among us have lost loved ones way too early, and they would be the first to tell you there's no promise of next year. So my encouragement is just to say, let us never assume that, that next year is promised. Let us discern each opportunity in the moment. Do we pursue it? Do we not pursue it? Um, but some opportunities with people, some opportunities with, with ministry, if, if we don't act now, we, we can't assume that it'll be there, there next year. So let's decide in the moment, but let's not let next year be the deciding factor. The story of Jesus healing the paralytic is a fun story. I like the story. It's a fun story. It's a happy story. It's just, it's a fun story. Uh, Jesus is growing in popularity. Word is beginning to spread. Jesus is teaching and he's healing people and he's freeing them from demons. And then you have this group of friends who are willing to cut a hole in your roof because of their faith in Jesus. And, and here's my hope for all of you right? Because all of us will stand before Jesus, right? Christian and non, doesn't matter. All of us, all of humanity will one day stand before Jesus. And Jesus is going to say something different to each one of us. But my hope is this, is that when it's your turn that Jesus looks at you and he says, your faith is beautiful. And that, and that you live that life. You live that life that ends with your faith is beautiful. All praise to Jesus who gave that man salvation that he did not deserve. Thank you, Lord, that he not only healed the man but forgave him sins. We are so grateful for that. But my encouragement for you is to live the life that ends with 
your faith is beautiful. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great story in Scripture. Um, there's just so much great stuff going on there. It is a fun story. It's a happy story. Uh, in many ways, it's a mind-boggling story. God, we thank you uh, for the gift of artists who in uh, art and music and film take a timeless truth and just help us understand it with a fresh perspective. Lord, I pray for all of, those, all of us here that you would guard them, that you would protect them, that you would keep them from temptation, that you would um, guard them from the enemy, Lord. Lord, that we would grow in our love of you and our love of others. And Lord, I pray that we would live the life that ends with your faith is beautiful. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.